to the book of Romans chapter 7 and I'm going to read the passage upon which the sermon is based this morning. Romans chapter 7, I'll be reading verses 13 to 25. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. This is God's word. Uh, Samuel Johnson was a very accomplished man. Uh, Samuel Johnson was an 18th century Renaissance man. He was a poet, an essayist, a moralist, a lexicographer, biographer, literary critic, and editor. He published the first major English language dictionary, and it has been acclaimed as one of the greatest single achievements of scholarship. Uh, Johnson was a devout Anglican, and he is described by some as arguably the most distinguished man of letters in English history. Uh, Samuel Johnson was a very accomplished man. And Samuel Johnson loved to sleep. He loved to sleep. He wrote about it extensively. uh, And he struggled with sleeping too much his entire life. Uh, I want to read you some excerpts from his journal. In 1738, he wrote, Almighty God, enable me to shake off sloth and redeem the time misspent in idleness and sin by a diligent application of the days yet remaining. In 1759, 21 years later, he wrote, Oh God, enable me to shake off sloth and idleness. In 1764, five years later, he wrote, My indolence since my last reception of the sacrament has sunk into grosser sluggishness. My purpose from this time on is to avoid idleness and rise early. In 1764, five months after that, he wrote, I purpose to rise early, not later than six o'clock if I can. One year later, in 1765, he wrote, I purpose to rise at 8 (laughs) o'clock. 
because though I shall not rise early, it shall be much earlier than I now rise, because I often lie until two. In 1769, four years later, he wrote, I am not yet in a state to make many resolutions, but I purpose and hope to rise early in the morning at eight o'clock and by degrees at six o'clock. 1775, six years later, he wrote, Why do I keep resolving? I try because reformation is necessary and despair is criminal. I now resolve to rise at 8 (laughs) o'clock. And in 1781, 43 years after his first journal entry, he wrote this, I will not despair. (laughs) Help me, oh my God. I now resolve to rise at 8 o'clock or sooner to avoid idleness. Well, I don't, know if, um, I don't know if Samuel Johnson's uh, struggle is your struggle or not, um, but all of us can identify with that, can't we? Of something that we have in our lives that we're struggling against and fighting against for a long time. Uh, we're not perfect, but we know what perfect is. We know what the ideal is. We know uh, what that ideal is, and we strive to attain it. We strive to reach that ideal in our own lives, and we can see the ideal, what the ideal should be in our society and even other people's lives. We want to be holy, and we want to be Christ-like, but it's hard. It's a fight. It's tough. Paul, in this passage, is writing to Christians like you and me, and he's taught them the gospel. He's taught them about salvation He's taught them justification by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He's taught them about this for the Jew first and also to the Gentile. He's told them that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, but that in Christ Jesus we have hope. And now he's turning a bit from justification to sanctification. He's turning a bit in this letter uh, some people even say Romans 7 is a little bit of an interlude, a little parenthesis in the, in the whole book. And he wants to talk about the Christian life. He wants to talk about how we live with the law. He wants to talk to us about how we live uh, with the law in our lives and pursue that which is good. And what he's talking about here is that we can often find ourselves in a very frustrating cycle. And if we're not careful, the law becomes a frustrating cycle. What God meant for good actually becomes a frustration, a source of of frustration and a downward spiral, spiral in our lives. And so we need the truth, don't we? We need the truth. We need the truth about the Christian life. And so what I'd like for us to think about uh, in this passage is just look at three particular truths that I think are in this passage. It's not everything here. But first of all, that God is committed to our life now. Uh, he's committed to our life now. Secondly, that he knows that we can't do life alone. And that in Jesus, he's given us the answer uh, to do life with him now. But notice that first, he is committed to our life right now. And right now, he's committed to it. Uh, The deepest need for every uh, believer, every person that lives on this earth, the deepest need is to be in a deep, abiding relationship with God. That's our deepest, most fundamental need. We were made for Him. We were made to live with Him. And sin destroyed that. Sin destroyed our relationship with God so that we don't live like we should. We don't do life like we should. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came and He destroyed sin and death, right? He destroyed sin and death. And He made it possible for us to reunite with God and live life with Him. Uh, The way I think about the Christian life uh, is 
uh, it's like a prisoner being let out from prison. He served his time. And you know these old movies that the prisoner is released. He's done his time and he's taken out to the gates of the prison in this dramatic fashion. And he's maybe given his belongings from when he was first in prison. He may have it just in a suitcase or a, a brown paper bag. And he's free, right? He, he's, he has no longer any debt to society. He's free, but he still has to know how to live. He still has to go out and make a life for himself. He still has to go out and be a person. And that's who we are. When we become a Christian, our debt is paid. It's behind us. And we are free. But we still have to go out and live. We still need to go out and live the Christian life. We have, in this regard, one problem. And it shows up in two ways. Our one problem is sin. And it leaves us guilty. Right? And we need the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ to wash us clean. We have that. That's what justification is. But that's just the beginning of the story. This begins our life with God. We still have to live with our indwelling sin. That's why Paul says in Romans 5.10, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled by the death of his son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So now that we're reconciled by God, we're going to be saved by the life of Jesus. Now that we're reconciled, we go out and to live the Christian life. And for this, we need, we need God's work in our life because we're broken. We don't know how to do life. The only life that we knew was prior to being a Christian. And so we have to learn how to relate to one another again. We need to learn how to relate to ourselves again and relate to the world again in a new way. And that's why God gives us His, His law, His word He gives us his word so that we'll know the way, so that we'll walk in the way. That's why he gave us this. He didn't give us this so that we could beat each each other up with it and have arguments with it, right? He didn't give us uh, this so that we could hurt one another. He gave us this because this is his word. And he wants us to walk in the way. And he says, this is the way I want you to live. So that's, and we confuse these two uh, things so often, I think. So, so often we confuse the fact that we're justified. Yes, we're washed, we're cleansed, but now we need to go out and live the Christian life. We need that ongoing forgiveness. We need that ongoing cleansing because we keep on sinning. But we also need the ongoing transformation, the ongoing change and work of God within us. And God has a plan for both. God has a plan for both. When we come to God, He forgives us, He washes us, He cleanses us, and then He begins this process of putting us back together. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, so that we can be transformed from one degree of righteousness to another. So not only should there be a pattern in our lives, and we did it earlier even in this service, we confess our sins. We say, God, I've, I've sinned, and I need cleansing again. I need washing again. And we offer that to Him. We keep doing that, right? We do that every day in our lives, and we do it when we come to worship on Sunday. But then we also need... Beyond this, this ongoing need for cleansing, we need this ongoing indwelling presence of God. The blood of Christ deals with the guilt of our sin, and it's the cross of Christ, Paul says, that frees us to live a new life, and God gives us the way. That's why he gave us the law. 
That's why he says in verse 13 of this passage that sin might be shown to be a sin. In other words, the law is our instruction so that we can see what's wrong and turn and right, go in a new way. You know, when I was uh, young, I, I remember distinctly uh, the teacher in my, in my childhood, the first teacher that gave me back a test that not only showed me uh, where I had gotten a wrong answer, but the, the teacher that wrote in the right answer. Do you remember that? <laughs> Those of you that had a teacher that way, did you, you got a test back. And you know, I thought, oh, she's, she's not just telling me what I got wrong. She actually wants me to learn this. <laughs> she wants me to get the right thing. And that's why we have the word. Okay, so Paul says the law doesn't bring us death. It shows us what's really sin so that we can turn and walk in a new way. You know, there, there is a battle There's a battle for God's creatures, for God's dear children. There's a battle for you going on right now. There's a battle for me um, being waged right now. There's a battle for the dear ones that God has made and he wants. And he didn't create you and he didn't create me so that we could live in sin. That's That's not what he created us to be. That's not what his design was. He allowed it, but it was not part of his design But he is radically committed right now to doing something about that. And there's a teaching out out there in the church uh, that God came to save us and take us to heaven and that's all that there is. And that's a deception. That's not true. There's more to it. (laughs) Thankfully, praise the Lord, there's more to it. And there's a teaching in the church that the law is right but it's not necessarily good for us. In other words, that God tells us what he thinks is right, but it's not really good for us. And that's a deception as well. The law is good. It's the way we were designed to live. So God wants our lives to be transformed. Paul says in Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God. And true righteousness and holiness. So God wants it. He's committed to that. And he knows, secondly, that we can't do it alone. He knows that I can't do it alone. He knows that you can't do it alone. You know, what holds us back from living that ideal? What holds us back from being that perfect person that we can envision and, and, and see out there? That ideal person that we can see. Well, we've got temptations, right? We've got the temptations from the world. Uh, We've got the flesh. We've got the devil. We've got all of these temptations that are luring us and pulling us away. And that's a problem. And we've also got, so we live in a broken world, right? But we've also got our old habits, our sinful habits, our old patterns, old ways of thinking, old ways of relating. And you may, maybe it's a relationship of, of you know, you're constantly, you're, you're, you want to see newness in a particular relationship, but you're stuck in old habits of speaking, old habits of acting, old habits of maybe in our own personal lives. And I want to see change, but I'm stuck in this rut. Those sinful patterns are strong. These are, these are strong things that have to be broken in our lives. And we have idols, right? We have idols. Uh, the Bible calls these uh, treasures or epithumeas. Uh, that's a Greek word that just means a super desire. It's like, a over, it's like a lust or, man, this thing is... And that's what we call something that when it gets in our heart, it just captures our heart. 
it's like, a, and if any of you have ever personally or known someone whose lives have been touched by addiction, then you know what this is like. This is, this is a strong, strong power, something that comes into us and ensnares us and ensnares our lives and affects us very deeply. It's a lust. It's a passion. It's an idol. It's a stronghold. It's an ensnaring sin. And this, this, this holds us back. And then for some of us, it's even a lack of faith. You know, for some of us, we have tried change so often. Uh, we've tried it so much that, and we've seen, we failed so much that we've been discouraged. We've gotten discouraged about change. And we think, well, I, I can't change anymore. I'm not going to be able to change anymore. And so we've given up on change. We think, well, that can't happen with me. And so we've, we, we don't have faith that God can do it. And at some point, you know, some of us, we have to choose. We really do. We have to choose to accept God's offer, to accept his grace, to, to receive that. Deuteronomy thirty nineteen says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. See, the reality is we don't have to live without change. We don't have to stay stuck. We don't have to be stuck in this frustrating cycle and whirlpool where we're just doing the same thing over and over again and we don't feel like we can get out of it. God, when he saves us, gives us his Holy Spirit, and in doing that, he restores our wills. He restores us. He gives us a new mind and a new heart. God says in Ezekiel 36, I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then we can say, yes, Lord, I want to choose to go and walk in a new way. I don't know if you are familiar with Oswald Chambers, but uh, he writes a classic devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. And if you haven't read that, you know, I really want to recommend that, commend that to you. He is, he's straight talk. <laughs> so whenever you need it, to, need it straight, go to Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. And he says this, and I put this quote on the outline for you so, because I think it's such a powerful, powerful statement. And he says this, For you to say, I'm no saint, is acceptable by human standards of pride, but it is unconscious blasphemy against God. You defy God to make you a saint as if to say, I'm too weak and hopeless and outside the reach of the atonement of the cross of Christ? Why aren't you a saint? It is either that you do not want to be a saint or that you do not believe that God can make you into one. Well, if that's you, and that's oftentimes me, God is here to heal both of those things. God is always available, and He's here to heal our will so that we say, Yes, God, I want to be a saint. And He's here to give us faith so that we can say, I believe you can do it. And, uh, you know, I we need... <laughs> We all need each other to be saints, don't we? We all need each other to be what God intended us to be. The world needs Christians to be what God intended us to be in a broken world. He needs us. Well, how do we do that? Well, a lot of people try to go out and they try their own human ways of doing that. We, we try to grind it out. We just say, well, I'm just going to tough it out. I'm just going to grind out the Christian life. Or, or we say, well, I'm, going to, I'm just going to take it slow, but I'm slow and steady going to grow. I'm working on that. 
Or we try to just stuff sin down and say, well, I'm just going to try to use my own brute force, my own flesh to stuff this down. And I'm telling you, those things don't work. And the reason uh, they don't work is because they're not God's way of doing things. We live in the struggle and we don't make progress oftentimes because we're not even Christians. And if you're not a Christian, um, there is no change. There is no change fundamentally. And we can change the... we, We can modify our behavior, but there's no supernatural change apart from Jesus Christ. It just doesn't exist. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not the Christian life. Behavior modification is not the Christian life. Supernatural change is what God is about. And that is only possible in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we have to do is become Christians. Or maybe we don't experience change because we don't call on Christ who frees us. We don't, we don't say, Lord, you have to come in and free me up. I need Jesus to come in and, and enable me and empower me to do this. Oftentimes we choose to stay stuck. As strange as that may seem, well, a lot of times we choose to stay stuck where we are and not change because it's comfortable and we're used to what that's like. We're used to those old behavior patterns. Sometimes we don't realize uh, how good we can be in Christ. And sometimes we're stuck in bad situations where other people are trying to f- keep us from changing. Bad, uh, dysfunctional imprisoning relationships. But the good news is that God has a way out, right? God has a way out. In Isaiah 61, we read, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. This is Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and to and release from the darkness for the prisoners. The reality is that we have the Lord Jesus not only to cleanse us, but we have the indwelling presence right now of Christ to free us, to empower us, to give us knowledge, to give us uh, freedom, to give us strength that we can turn and walk in a new way. And that's why Paul ends this frustrating passage in Romans 7. Why do I keep doing what I'm doing? I don't understand what I'm doing. He says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. The good news is that as a believer, you and I have the Lord Jesus Christ who broke the power of sin and death. There was a day in the history of this world where the God of the universe was put on a tree and put to death. And he died not simply to wash us and cleanse us, but to break sin. He broke it. He broke its power. He broke its dominion over us so that we don't have to live under sin anymore. We don't have to do that. We can say, no, we have our choice restored to us. On that day, the yoke of sin over the whole human race was broken. There is no answer in this world for sin. There's no answer in this world for sin. The answer had to come from on high. The answer had to come from Jesus. He had to come down, and that's the answer. 
And we have that now. And so on the cross, he broke it so that it no longer has power of us. So we're no longer owned by sin and death. He restored our freedom. He restored our choice. He made a way so that we can say, I'm going to choose to go this way today. I'm going to choose to say no to this. I'm going to choose to say yes to the Lord. And every time we say yes, that is such a precious thing. Every time you say yes and every time I say yes to God, that is such a precious thing. It's so precious to him. He loves it when we say yes. We say, yes, Lord, I want that. I, I want your newness of life. I want to change. I, want, I, want, I don't want to stay here anymore. I don't want to be stuck anymore. Listen to the scriptures. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up through Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. He forgave us our sins. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. He disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle over them. God did this in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. John 8, 36, Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Acts 13, 38, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Matthew 22 tells a story of a parable, it's a parable of a wedding. And this, this man is giving a wedding and uh, he, he has all the arrangements made and he goes out to invite all the guests to come in. And in those days, uh, the, the, the host of the wedding, made, you know, he, he gave everything that was necessary for the wedding. He even gave the clothing. And, and the people uh, didn't come. They didn't want to come. So he, he said, well, go out. He sent his servants out to the, to the highway. He said, just go get people to come and celebrate with me. Get them to come into the place. And so they do, and they come in, and they gave him the garments, to, the wedding garments that they needed to celebrate with this man. But there was one man uh, that, that was sitting there, and he didn't have the garments on. And so the, the host says, why, why don't you have the garments on? And he said, well, you gave them to me, but, but I didn't put them on. And so that man was taken out and thrown out of the party. God has given us everything that we need to turn and walk in a new way in Jesus Christ. We just have to put it on. We have to take it in. And we have to, to say yes. It's an old southern hymn that I used to sing in my grandparents' uh, Assembly of God church growing up. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's a great word. I'll close with this. Once like a bird in prison I dwelt, no freedom from my sorrow I felt, but Jesus came and listened to me and glory to God. He set me free. He set me free. He set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see. For glory to God, he set me free. All we have to do is receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that, if you're not a believer today, then I'd love to talk to you after the service because that's the starting point of the Christian life is to receive that forgiveness and receive the Christ who can make us free. And if you have become a Christian, then, then say yes to the Lord. Say, yes, Lord, I'm ready today. 
uh, to start the newness in life that you have for me, to begin to walk in the Spirit, to experience the freedom that you have for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you that in Christ we do have freedom from our sin. Uh, We ask, Father, that you would give us your grace to receive all that you desire to give us, all the freedom that you desire uh, to give us in Jesus Christ. And where we need to particularly experience your freedom, we ask that we would know it. And we make our prayer through Jesus Christ. Amen.